Have you ever received a call or text from a number that you don't know saying that a package you ordered hasn't been delivered because they need just a little bit more information from you? You don't remember ordering a package and then start wondering how this scammer got your number. Well, anytime you go online and accept cookies or buy anything online, websites can keep your data and sell it to data brokers who create a digital ID of you. They can sell this digital ID to the highest bidder, and lo and behold, a bunch of scammers get a ton of information about you that you never agreed to give them. Well, with Ecogni, this is no longer an issue. All you need to do is sign up, and Ecogni will use the GDPR and CCPA and other privacy laws to get these companies to remove your data from their networks, protecting you and your data from scammers and anyone else who wants to use your data against you. Use the link in the description or episode notes and get Ecogni today for $6.49 a month on a one-year plan and protect your data and digital ID. With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to reach a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. This show is brought to you by my store, where you can purchase all of my audiobooks after publication on YouTube for five euros. It is one of the easiest ways to support me in turning this not just from a hobby, but into an actual job. Let's get started. The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne Chapter 18 A Flood of Sunshine Arthur Dimmersdale gazed into Hester's face with a look in which hope and joy shone out, indeed, but with fear betwixt them, and a kind of horror at her boldness, who had spoken out what he vaguely hinted at, but dared not speak. But Hester Prynne, with a mind of native courage and activity, and for so long a period not merely estranged, but outlawed from society, had habituated herself to such a latitude of speculation as was altogether foreign to the clergyman. She had wandered, without rule and guidance, in a moral forest as vast and intricate and shadowy as the untamed forest amid the gloom of which they were now holding a colloquy that was to decide their fate. Her intellect and heart had their home, as it were, in desert places, where she roamed as freely as the wild Indian in his woods. For years past, she had looked from this estranged point of view at human institutions and whatever priests or legislators had established criticising all with hardly more reverence than the Indian would feel for the clerical band, the judicial robe, the pillory, the gallows, the fireside, or the church. The tendency of her fate and fortunes had been to set her free. The scarlet letter was her passport into regions where other women dared not tread. Shame, despair, solitude. These had been her teachers, stern and wild ones, and they made her strong, but taught her much amiss. The minister, on the other hand, had never gone through an experience calculated to lead him beyond the scope of generally received laws. 
although, in a single instance, he had fearfully transgressed one of the most sacred of them. But this had been a sin of passion, not of principle, nor even purpose. Since that wretched epoch, he had watched with morbid zeal and minuteness, not his acts, although it was easy to arrange, but each breath of emotion and his every thought. At the head of the social system, as the clergyman of that day stood, he was only the more trammelled by its regulations, its principles, and even its prejudices. As a man who had once sinned, but who kept his conscience all alive and painfully sensitive by the fetting of an unhealed wound, he might have been supposed safer within the line of virtue than if he had never sinned at all. Thus we seem to see that, as regarded Hester Prynne, the whole seven years of outlaw and ignominy had been little other than preparation for this very hour. But Arthur Dimmesdale, were such a man once more to fall, what plea could be urged in extenuation of his crime? None, unless it avail him somewhat that he was broken down by long and exquisite suffering, that his mind was darkened and confused by the very remorse which harried it, that between fleeing as an avowed criminal and remaining as a hypocrite, conscience might find it hard to strike the balance, that it was human to avoid the peril and death and infamy, and that the inscrutable machinations of an enemy, that finally, to this poor pilgrim, on his dreary and desert path, faint, sick, miserable, there appeared a glimpse of human affection and sympathy. A new life, and a true one, in exchange for the heavy doom which he was now expiating. And be the stern and sad truth spoken, that the breath which guilt has once made into the human soul is never, in this moral state, repaired. It may be watched and guarded, so that the enemy shall not force his way again into the citadel, and might even, in his subsequent assaults, select some other avenue in preference to that where he had formerly succeeded. But there is still the ruined wall, and near it the stealthy tread of the foe that would win over again his unforgotten triumph. The struggle, if there were one, need not be described. Let it suffice that the clergyman resolved to flee, and not alone. If. In all these past seven years, thought he, I could recall one instant of peace or hope. I would yet endure for the sake of that earnest of heaven's mercy. But now, since I am irrevocably doomed, wherefore should I not snatch the solace allowed to the contemned culprit before his execution? Or, if this be the path to a better life, as Hester would persuade me, I surely give up no fairer prospect by pursuing it. Neither can I any longer live without her companionship, so powerful is she to sustain, so tender to soothe. O thou to whom I dare not lift mine eyes, wilt thou yet pardon me? Thou wilt go, said Hester, calmly, as he met her gaze. The decision once made, a glow of strange enjoyment threw its flickering brightness over the trouble of his breast. It was the exhilarating effect upon a prisoner just escaped from the dungeon of his own heart, of breathing the wild, free atmosphere of an unredeemed, unchastained, lawless region. His spirit rose, as it were, with a bound, and attained a nearer prospect of the sky than throughout all the misery which had kept him grovelling on the earth. Of a deeply religious temperament, there was inevitably a tinge of the devotional in his mood. Do I feel joy again? cried he, wondering at himself. Methought the germ of it was dead in me. Oh, Hester, thou art my better angel. 
I seem to have flung myself, sick, sin-stained, and sorrow-blackened down upon these forest leaves, and to have risen up, all made new, and with new powers, to glorify him that hath been merciful. This is already the better life. Why did we not find it sooner? Let us not look back, answered Hester Prynne. The past is gone. Wherefore should we linger upon it now? See, with this symbol, I undo it all, and make it as it had never been. So speaking, she undid the clasp that fastened the scarlet letter, and, taking it from her bosom, threw it into a distance among the withered leaves. The mystic token alighted on the hither verge of the stream. With a hand's breadth further flight, it would have flown into the water, and have given the little brook another woe to carry onward, besides its unintelligible tale which it kept murmuring about. But there lay the embroidered letter, glittering like a lost jewel which some ill-fated wanderer might pick up, and thenceforth be haunted by strange phantoms of guilt, sinking of the heart, and unaccountable misfortune. The stigma gone, Hester heaved a long, deep sigh, in which the burden of shame and anguish departed from her spirit. Oh, exquisite relief! She had not known the waste until she felt the freedom. By another impulse, she took off the formal cap that confined her hair, and down it fell upon her shoulders, dark and rich, with at once a shadow and a light in its abundance, and imparting the charm of softness to her features. There played around her mouth, and beamed out of her eyes, a radiant and tender smile that seemed gushing from the very heart of womanhood. A crimson flush was growing on her cheek that had been long so pale. Her sex, her youth, and the whole richness of her beauty came back from what men call the irrevocable past, and clustered themselves with her maiden hope and a happiness before unknown within the magic circle of this hour. And, as if the gloom of the earth and sky had been but the effluence of these two mortal hearts, it vanished with their sorrow. All at once, as with a sudden smile of heaven, forth burst the sunshine, pouring a very flood into the obscure forest, gladdening each green leaf, transmuting yellow fallen ones to gold, and gleaming adown the grey trunks of the solemn trees. The objects that had made a shadow hitherto embodied the brightness now. The course of the little brook might be traced by its merry gleam afar into the wood's heart of mystery, which had become a mystery of joy. Such was the sympathy of nature, that wild, heathen nature of the forest, never subjugated by human law, nor illuminated by higher truth with the bliss of these two spirits. Love, whether newly born or aroused from a death-like slumber, must always create a sunshine, filling the heart so full of radiance that it overflows upon the outward world. Had the forest still kept its gloom, it would have been bright in Hester's eyes, and bright in Arthur Dimmersdale's. Hester looked at him with a thrill of another joy. Thou must know Pearl, said she, our little Pearl. Thou hast seen her, yes, I know it, but thou wilt see her now with other eyes. She is a strange child, I hardly comprehend her but thou wilt love her dearly, as I do, and wilt advise me how to deal with her. Dost thou think the child will be glad to know me? asked the minister, somewhat uneasily. 
I've long shrunk from children because they often show a distrust, a backwardness to be familiar with me. I've even been afraid of little Pearl. Oh, that was sad, answered the mother. But she will love thee dearly, and thou her. She is not far off. I will call her. Pearl! Pearl! I see the child, observed the minister. Yonder she is, standing on a streak of sunshine a good way off on the other side of the brook. So thou thinkest the child will love me? Hester smiled and again called to Pearl, who was visible at some distance as the minister had described her, like a bright apparelled vision in a sunbeam which fell down upon her through an arch of boughs. The ray quivered to and fro, making her figure dim or distinct, now like a real child, now like a child's spirit as the splendour went and came again. She heard her mother's voice and approached slowly through the forest. Pearl had not found the hour pass wearisomely while her mother sat talking with the clergyman. The great black forest, stern as it showed itself to those who brought guilt and troubles of the world into its bosom, became the playmate of the lonely infant, as well as it knew how. Sombre as it was, it put on the kindest of its moods to welcome her. It offered her the partridge berries, the growth of the preceding autumn, but ripened only in the spring, and now red as drops of blood upon the withered leaves. These Pearl gathered, and was pleased with their wild flavour. The small denizens of the wilderness hardly took pains to move out of her path. A partridge indeed, with a brood of ten behind her, ran forward threateningly, but soon repented her fierceness, and clucked to her young ones not to be afraid. A pigeon, alone on a low branch, allowed Pearl to come beneath, and uttered a sound as much a greeting as alarm. A squirrel, from the lofty depths of his domestic tree, chattered either in anger or merriment, for a squirrel is such a choleric and humorous little personage that it is hard to distinguish between his moods. So he chattered at the child, and flung down a nut upon her head. It was a last year's nut, and already gnawn by his sharp tooth. A fox, startled from his sleep by her light footsteps on the leaves, looked inquisitively at Pearl, as doubting whether it were better to steal off or renew his nap on the same spot. A wolf, it is said, but here the tale is surely lapsed into the improbable, came up and smelt Pearl's robe and offered his savage head to be patted by her. The truth seems to be, however, that the mother forest and these wild things which it nourished all recognised a kindred wildness in the human child. And she was gentler here than in the grassy margin streets of the settlement or in her mother's cottage. The flowers appeared to know it, and one another whispered as she passed, Adorn thyself with me, thou beautiful child. Adorn thyself with me. And to please them, Pearl gathered the violets and anemones and columbines, and some twigs of the freshest green, which the old trees held down before her eyes. With these she decorated her hair and her young waist, and became a nymph child, or an infant dryad, or whatever else she was in closest sympathy with the antique wood. In such guise had Pearl adorned herself when she heard her mother's voice and came slowly back. Slowly, for she saw the clergyman. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there's more to come. And if you're listening on podcast, please leave a review. It uh, is the easiest way to get this in front of as many people as possible and reading your reviews really makes my day. Once again, Thank you for listening, and until next time, bye-bye.